Record Collections and Recollections. Out of the Box with Mia Hull on FBI Radio. shout out to Karnika for taking you through the morning on FBI Radio. Mia Hull is my name, this show is Out of the Box, and today I'm joined by James Jarrett Patradoon. James is an illustrator and a dark wizard of many mediums. His work takes the form of digital drawings, murals, animated GIFs, and everything in between, and as a freelancer he's worked with clients such as Adidas, Facebook, and Microsoft. James has an exhibition happening in Sydney tomorrow, and he joins me now to talk about all the moments that brought him here. James, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So what does your practice look like? The art, the art itself looks like, um, I guess it's just very kind of um, poppy. That's a, like, I think uh, while I was doing the exhibition this week, like setting it up, I've had like people walk past like just on the street and they kind of pop their head in and like, it's been really cool because they've been able to... Because I don't really know how to describe it myself, but then the other people would be like, that's really psychedelic, or, um, oh, this looks like bubblegum, or like, oh, da 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 And so it's been really... That's kind of, I guess, how normal people would kind of describe it, but the there's always this kind of balance between I want it to kind of at first look really poppy, but then be, like, use that as, like, a kind of Trojan horse to put in, like, darker imagery, like, you know, like, skulls or like um dominatrixes or like the Re- grim reaper and shit like that. well grim reaper is a skull but yeah yeah and then it's in these beautiful pink colors yeah which is, yeah. yeah so it's kind of like you can't i think at the beginning when i was doing um i was i was drawing like super like hectic stuff like that and then people would be like oh it's too scary or like whatever and then i just started doing them in pink and then and like neons and things like that and then people were like you couldn't really it was kind of like, it was kind of still like, I guess sort of scary, but then like, but it was still in a color palette that like people couldn't really like resist in that way. And what does your studio look like to make these occult themed artworks? Um, that's it. Yeah. I mean, I, I've jumped around studios for quite a bit, um, but it's always pretty much just like a laptop and my, um, my Cintiq, like a drawing tablet, and that's it. And so it's just like, if I travel or if I move studios, that's kind of, that's kind of it. So it's like, I had a studio once um, in the, above Vic on the Park, and there were like a bunch of other artists in there, and I had like, you know, somehow scored like the biggest room. But the irony was that I took up the least space because I was just in the corner with like my laptop and stuff like that. And then, um, and yeah, then I moved on to the Gladi, and then I went to Thailand, and when I was in Thailand, I was living in Bangkok, I was just like, well, the weird thing is when I was in Bangkok, I was in the smallest place I ever could have been, which is like the apartment I was staying at. And, but I was making the biggest work I'd ever made, you know, size wise. And so it's just kind of like, if there was ever a time to have made work of that size, it would have been every other time I've had a studio and not like in this weird living room with a picnic table and stuff like that. Yeah, and I do want to talk about your time in Bangkok in a little bit, but first I want to talk about your development, getting to where you are now, because at uni the art you were making was very different, wasn't it? 
It was, yeah, weirdly enough, I was thinking about this the other day. It's like, um, so the work I was making at uni, it was about kind of like teenage gang vigilante kind of uh, rite of passage kind of coming of age stuff. And it was kind of semi-based on like greasers and like, um, uh, like bikers and stuff like that. And with a kind of bit of like a warriors, wanderers, grease kind of vibe, but um, then the work now, it's weird, it's kind of come, and it was like, the colour palette was kind of similar back then too, it was like lots of pinks, yellows, and like cyans and stuff, but it's, I was thinking the other day how it's kind of all come full circle, because now, because I went through, because what happened after uni was everyone was like, people would be like, oh, keep drawing those Mexican wrestler looking guys, and I'd be like, nah, I don't want to do this anymore, <laughs> I don't think it's cool anymore. And then for years and years and years after, everyone's like, oh, but why don't you just do another Mexican? And I'm like, no, 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 I'm over it. But now I'm kind of back doing it. But they're, they're not Mexican wrestlers now. They're like, they're like latex fetish people. So it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of funny. It's kind of like they grew up. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder how far a, la- a latex fetish person is from a Mexican wrestler in the first place. Right? Yeah. That's, <laughs> when I draw them, I'm just like, this is... If I just, like, you know, make them shirtless, they could, this could just go the other way. Um, so you were doing fine art at uni. Is that something that you always saw yourself doing? When I was growing up, I never really saw myself doing anything. I didn't really know what, what to do. Um, it's just more a thing of, like, I had to go to uni. Like, my parents were like, you have to go to uni to do something. And so I um, initially was meant to go to... Um, Kofa College of Fine Art to do digital media, but I didn't get the I didn't get the marks to get in the UAI. I don't know what it's called now, but um, I had every intention to transfer to digital media, so I started in fine arts. But then it's like I was just, I'm like I was like a really bad student, so I was just I just never really got around to transferring. And then the next thing I knew, I'd like finished the degree. <laughs> you know, I'd done honors, written a thesis, done a major body of work, and finished it. And I was like, oh, you never. You never did that. You never transferred to digital media. And it's like, all right, well, I'm not going to go back to uni. Like, <laughs> but, um, And so it kind of like from, it's weird. It's kind of like it, was, it was more like from just inaction. But I don't think laziness and being inactive really tell the story of what you right. was like for you because you had 24-hour <laughs> yeah. access to the studio. Oh, and, at my art school. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And wh- why did you need that? Because I found... Because, one, I work better at night Um, because there's, like, you know, there's, like, no phone calls, no emails, no, like, social obligate. Everyone's asleep. Like, the world's, like, kind of shut down Um, and you're not interrupted. And I think that's, like, really important. And I was kind of used to just being up at night all the time anyway. My parents had a restaurant when I was growing up, so they would shut really late. And so I would have to just be awake with them you know, on school nights till like two or three in the morning. Another thing was because I, I just didn't like sharing it with people because it would be like, if you have that many students in there and you're making all this artwork and stuff and using the same drying racks, there was one time where I was like, I'd made like, I was doing like the major work in honors and I was like, I put all this stuff in the drying rack and then this guy put it on, on like a wet piece of like uh, acetate, just this dripping wet thing. And it just like, cause the paper is like, it melts if you get it wet. So it's just like, and then it just melted all this stuff I'd spent like, I'd just put the final layer of screen prints on 
And then he just put all this like wet stuff on top of it, you know, and he's like, I'll buy you a beer. And I was like, oh my God, that thing's like, <laughs> I don't know, like, um, I had to like do it all again, but then it's like, yeah, it's not like a beer, you know, it's like, it's like a month's work or something. <laughs> Let's dive into a song now. You've chosen one by Deftones. Why, why did you choose this track? Um, this is like the cusp of new metal, which is when I was like getting really into, um, I guess just this start, just like kind of the person I am now, you know? Um, and yeah, this is probably, this is, this is off an album called White Pony, which is like, probably like, I don't, I've never heard anything come close to this album since. So it's like, yeah, it's probably like my favorite song in the world. Beautiful. Well, quite the introduction. This is Digital Bath by Deftones on FBI Radio 94.5.
You're listening to Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5. That track was Digital Bath by Deftones, and it was a selection by my guest, James Stewart Patradoon. When did you first start to take interest in art? I probably started when, like, I think everyone takes interest in art at the same time. I think every every kid draws, right? Like, every, like, yeah, every single kid draws. And so there's this kind of, there's this opinion going around where it's like, people everyone draws but everyone kind of drops off at different different stages so um yeah I would just say like yeah I probably took an interest in art but like interest in art as in doing it as a career I never actually sat down and went like oh I'm going to do this as a career I just kind of like there's this kind of stubbornness to it I guess where it's kind of um I think what happens is either people kind of their work doesn't look the way they want and then they, it kind of becomes overwhelming and they kind of give up or, or that, you know, unfortunately, like some people get, to, get told to stop. Um, I've been told to stop like heaps of times by my parents. Yeah. I think for me, it's been this, uh, thing where I'm just kind of, I guess I'm just too stubborn to stop doing it. You know, it's, it's, it's I guess it's like, I still feel like there's something to prove and I don't know whether like on a mental health thing, that's kind of really bad, but you know, it's like, I... I was thinking the other day, I'm just like, why do I, like, when you're sitting and you're drawing and, you know, for instance, if you look at, like, an art therapy, look at art therapy or you look at, like, people on YouTube drawing, it's like, they're having fun doing it, like, they're having a great time. But the predominant emotion that I usually feel when I'm working is, like, I'm angry, which is weird. I don't think that should be a thing, but it kind of motivates me to keep going. I don't know. It's weird. They don't look like angry artworks. No, but it's like I pressed really hard. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, like even doing the murals, like for this uh, ultra show, like I have like, I can't, my finger is like full messed up now. From pressing so hard. With a brush too. With a brush, all the bristles are just yeah. everywhere. It's like when you see someone brushing their teeth really hard. And yeah. 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 It's yeah. Like that's that, what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> It's just super intense. I don't know. I need to, I need to chill out on that, but yeah. <laughs> so you said your parents weren't really into it at the start. Why is that? What did your parents want for you? I think, well, cause I got like, yeah, I got like really typical, well, they're not typical Asian parents, but they're Asian parents. And so I think they legit wanted me to be like a doctor or something. And, um, I think, uh, when, a when a, when a kid shows any like aptitude to anything creative, like visually there are kind of like a handful of jobs that people kind of put them into. But yeah, my, my parents were like, well, my dad, my mom doesn't really have an opinion on it. Um, but my dad was like, Oh, do, um, architecture. Cause one of my uncles is an architect. And I'm like, I have no interest in drawing buildings at all. I hate drawing buildings. Backgrounds are like the worst. That's why there's a reason why I don't really have backgrounds in my stuff. Cause they're really boring. And I just have like a big color field. So it's like, I was never going to do architecture, but, um, yeah, I think it was always a way of kind of finding like a middle ground with, with my parents of just being like, all right, well I'll do digital media. But then I didn't do it though. So they were kind of annoyed with that. <laughs> but you had the intention. of. I had every intention. Yeah. Of doing it. yeah <laughs> but I just didn't. So you said your parents were working in a restaurant for, well, owning a restaurant for mm. some time. Is that the only thing they did when you were growing up? Yeah, my dad's been a my dad's been a cab driver for forever. Um, and then my mum was working at like a, a factory and then they had a, yeah. So then they had a restaurant in Balmain, which was really interesting because like if I think back now, like if, because I was spending, because I was like really naughty. 
And so I would, they would be like, go to the car. And I'm like, that's awesome. That's what I want to do anyway. And then I would just like, <laughs> I would just sit in the car and just listen to music. And so it would be like, um, you remember like Rick D's in the Weekly Top 40? It was like an American show that they would have on here. And so I would just li- literally just be sitting. In, I don't know what I was doing. I didn't have a Game Boy or anything. This is before iPads and stuff. I would just sit in the dark listening to the radio like all night. Maybe I was drawing. I don't know. I don't know what I, I'd hop out for a walk, even though I wasn't allowed to. And I had this little game where I would like walk as far as I could before I got really scared and then came back. And so I was just like, I don't know how old I would have been, but I was this kid just like walking around at like 1am in the morning. It would look super creepy too. But um, yeah, that was a, that was a cool, that was a good time actually. I look back on that, but it was, yeah, it was, they would have gotten in trouble if anyone found out. Cause I had a sister, t- I have a sister too, mm. but she would, she would just be in the restaurant cause she'd have to do like homework and study and stuff like that. And I would just be in the car. And eventually they just let us just stay at home. Back in Maroubra. Yeah. And was there a big Thai community in Maroubra growing up? The only time I ever saw another Thai person other than like my immediate family was like, um, there was like a Thai school that would be during like the holidays. And that was more like set up by the Thai like community. And so the teachers would be like my parents' friends. And so it would be like, I would see them maybe at like a random, like at something or they'd come visit. But then during the summer, they'd be like a teacher or something. And I'd be like, I'm not going to listen to you. You know, it's like, I'm like you're not a... Because yeah, you, you, when you're that age, you, you, teachers are kind of scary. But it's just kind of like, I'm not taking you seriously. And so I was I was super, like, crap at it. I was, I was not... Like, even, like, I don't know... I can't read or write Thai. I couldn't write my own name in Thai. Um, when I speak Thai, apparently I sound... I have like a crazy accent. There wasn't a lot, there wasn't, I didn't really know a lot of like Asian people growing up. Was that hard? It was weird to, because every now and then I would meet one. And so it would be like, I would like, I remember once in like primary school, I would be like, there was one other guy and I was like, oh, he looks like me. I'm going to try and be his friend. And I think there was one de- specific moment when he was just like, listen, I'm not like you. You bring like weird lunch to school and stuff like that. You're like full. He's like, I'm not like you. Um, don't think that I'm. We're the same. I am like a white Asian. You are not. Da 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 da. And I was just like, wow, that's super weird. That's a really weird thing to say, because it's like I think we're in like year four. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wow, this guy knows himself. And then I grew up to realize I'm like, oh, that's some really like internalized racism stuff. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's go back to your time in Maroubra with a song. Tell me about the track you've picked. Oh, this is um, Come Said the Boy by Mondo Rock. I love this song. Uh, I think I, like um, it's got a lot to do with the clip too. The clip he's like singing in a white t-shirt on a beach. And this reminds me of like, um, yeah, me and my friends used to always go to the beach at night. This is also like around when, well, people still do it now, but it's just like our parents just let us roam around. And like we'd, you know, get home at like two or like whatever and they were not worried about it. It was just so regular. But yeah, uh, Mondo Rock, uh, Come Said the Boy. Yeah, this this song always takes me back to um, just, yeah, being in Maroubra. Let's dive into that one on FBI Radio 94.5.
Mondo Rock there and Come Said the Boy was the name of that song on FBI Radio 94.5. Right now on Out of the Box, I'm chatting to illustrator and dark wizard James Jarrett Patridoon. James, you've talked about hoarding in the past. Tell me about that. Oh, I'm like a... Right, so I'm... I'm like a really hectic minimalist now. Even like I'm trying to be, but that's more so as a reaction to being a massive hoarder 
previously. You know when it's like when people become like super straight edge after being like really messed up before? It's like how, um, yeah, Trent Reznor kicked like heroin by just getting massive into like working out. So I'm, yeah, I'm like that, but with like hoarding. So like I'm still kind of living out of like a suitcase, which is kind of, in my mind, I'm like, that's really efficient. But to other people, they're just like, that's kind of like a hobo, you know? Um, but yeah, so when I was, I used to hoard heaps of heaps of crap. I still have it too. I can't really get, I don't really know what to do with it. It's like, I would buy action figures from Japan or I would buy like, I used to have this thing where I would give myself like in my head, I used to call it the, um, unlimited cultural fund. I don't know where I got that name from, but in my head, I'm just like, Oh, it's the unlimited cultural fund, which meant that if I saw anything that would help me make my art, be it like a book that would inspire me or like an art supplies or like, you know, some weird brush pen or art materials and things like that. I would just give myself permission to just get it, you know, um, without any kind of budgetary kind of restriction or anything like that at all, which ended up me just amassing so much stuff. And so that, there was stuff, there was stuff that was like contributing to art stuff. There was stuff like that. I thought I would eventually turn into like a sculpture so I would, but I don't do sculpture. So, you know, I'd, you know, walk past, um, on council cleanup days, like I'll find something like, oh, here's like a, I don't know, like a fairing for a motorcycle and I'll like a broken one or something. And I'll, I'll take that home. And I'll be like, I could paint on this. I never did, but it, um, but I wouldn't throw it away either. And then what else? Um, well, yeah, I want to look at your inventory. What are, what are some of the best items that you required in that time? Uh, uh, yeah, I was going, okay. So I've been helping, trying to help my parents clean the basement, uh, while I've been back in Sydney. And so I, there's like a, uh, and I've been seeing this stuff again and it's like, there's a bag of a hundred Hello Kitties that I got from reverse garbage for a dollar each because they gave COFA students like a, uh, what was it? Like a, a store credit. And I just used it all up on just this, uh, it's so stupid. Um, and so I have that. I keep just discovering random stuff in boxes that I didn't know I had. Like, I just like a giant, like, just giant action figure. I think I have, like, I have, like, 12 really big Masked Rider figures. Masked Rider is, like, kind of like a Power Rangers kind of guy. Um, I had a scythe that I saw at an antique uh, Mitchell, was it Mitchell, Mitchell's Auctions house. And I saw that and I was like, I'm going to use that for something. That's, gonna, that's awesome. What's a scythe? A scythe is what the Grim Reaper has. Holes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have a full size one. I had one, but when I had to, when I moved to Bangkok, I sold it to a friend who already had, I think, two. So he's got three now. An so he's he, he's worse than me. Ben, ben Baker and um, shout out to ben, ben Baker in Melbourne. He's got a knife collection too. So it's like and a sword collection, I think. So it probably belongs with him. Um, it didn't really fit in with your hundred Hello Kitties. No, no. But I remember whenever I did move house, like my idea of like decor quotation marks would be like a bed that scythe and then my clothing rack and that would kind of be about it you know and so it'd be it'd be a bit messed up walking into my room because it'd just be like what is this you know what is this for and then you had to Marie Kondo the whole thing and you've got you know a studio with just a laptop and your iPad now yeah essentially so I do want to talk about a song that sparks joy for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm so proud of that segue. 
<laughs> You've chosen a song by Alkaline Trio today. Tell me about that. This song is the best. Um, I really love Alkaline Trio. And every time I tell people I like Alkaline Trio, they think I'm kidding. And every time I meet someone else who likes Alkaline Trio, they think I'm making fun of them. But I, I, I love this band so much. This song, I love this song because it's like in my head, I imagine this is like the outro music for my version of like some teen drama, like like a goth American pie or something. And um, yeah, I just love this song. This is Warbrain by Alkaline Trio on FBI Radio 94.5. And this one comes with a language warning. FBI Radio 94.5 DAB, or if you're streaming online, that song was Warbrain by Alkaline Trio, a selection by my guest on Out of the Box, James Durrett Patradoon. After graduating from Kofu, you spent some time freelancing. Was that something that you had planned on doing with your art? Yeah, it, it's weird. It kind of goes back to that inaction thing. So after uni, I was just getting random emails from people being like, can you draw this? And da 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 And like all these like illustration jobs. And I didn't know illustration was an actual like profession that you could do. I, 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 I'd done four years of art school. I had no idea. I actually had the illustration teacher come up to me and be like, why didn't you ever study illustration? And like, I didn't know he had it. And I also too, I don't really know what that is. And it's like drawing for other people. And I'm like, oh, okay. And 
so when I started doing it, it was really like this kind of weird trial, like trial and error thing where I didn't really get the whole drawing for other people thing. Like I would draw something and then for someone to kind of come back and be like, now change the face and change the colors to this and make this bigger and da da da. I was like, what do you mean? Like, this is like the best, this is like what I think is like the best thing. And so over time I had to kind of be like, no, illustration is like, they get, you're like a Pokemon. So that you're, because, you're, you know, like a Charizard could kill Ash, but it doesn't because Ash is in charge of the Charizard, right? And so it's like, as a Pokemon, you just got to do what they say. And it took me ages to, to come around to like, oh, so at first it was really frustrating because I'd be like, but then also it'd be like this weird kind of thing where it would, it taught me to kind of look at my work in a really, um, or, and look at art in like a really kind of like objective way. Like I had one art director tell me, why is there a line around everything? And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, every, to distinguish the, he's like, it's just all made up of lines, this image. And I'm like, cause it's a drawing. And he's like, I wanted a painting. And I'm like, I don't paint. I'm like, did you look at my folio? And he's like, yeah, of course I did. And I'm like, well, there's no painting in there. He wanted like a watercolor painting, which I've never done in my life. And I was just like, okay, cool. There's like, whatever. But then it made me think, I'm like, oh my God, I do draw in like, drawing is the representation of um, something using a line to distinguish the edges from each other. In the in one sense, it kind of like forced me to kind of it did educate me in a lot of stuff, and it did force me to draw a lot of the things that I would have not wanted to draw um, before, and or that would have been out of my comfort zone, you know. But it's just like if someone's dangling money in front of you to do it, it's like all right, maybe I will draw, like you know, whatever. Um, but then at the same time, drawing a lot of whatever meant. I wasn't happy with every single thing I was doing. And I think it kind of, it, I, it wasn't so much the client's fault. It was just more that I was amassing this kind of unlived, not unlived life, but like unlived body of work in my head all the time. Yeah, I was just having like a really bad time uh, with it. And I'm like, it got the job done. I got paid. The client was happy, but I wasn't really stoked on it. And it's like, at the end of the day, all I had to show for it was like, some money, which then I use on rent anyway. And then, you know, then the next week starts, you know, and it's like, I'm still miserable. It's like a nine to five. Yeah. It's a nine to five in a creative career, which is meant to be something that's not miserable. Yeah. It does sound like it was, it was a little bit soul crushing being a freelance illustrator. Is that what drove you to move to Bangkok? Yeah. And again, so it was like, when I was talking about that mountain of work that I had, yeah. like, in the back of my mind, um, I was like, if I don't start doing this now, if I don't, like, keep working on this, um, well, yeah, then it's not going to happen. And there's the future is going to go more in a direction that I'm not happy with than in a direction that I'm happy with. And so I decided to... Um, I'm re- Also, I'm really bad with money. So I got paid from this job... Um, all at once, uh, this massive mural gig that I did. And I took all that money and I moved to Bangkok with it. I was just like, yep, I cool. We're going to take like a year off, like just to do this, to just to work on this like personal work stuff. 
And um, yeah, that's what I did. And I just like, I did some illustration work during that period, but like not a lot. I said no to more stuff than I said yes to. Bangkok is a bit of a party town as well. Did you get sucked into that very much? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I did get totally sucked into the um, party thing. But to balance it out, I decided um, I had to do, I, I needed like a deadline to it. I needed to work towards something. So I, I was working towards um, an exhibition in LA at the end of the year. And so that kind of gave me, like, you know, lit a fire under me to go like, cool, you need to actually sit down and do maybe like, you know, eight hours of drawing a day before you're allowed to go out. You know, and that really helped and have to have that kind of balance because it that meant that I wasn't guilty when I went out, you know, because um, I'd been just at home working the whole time. I want to know about the artwork that you were getting together for this L.A. exhibition. Mm. Can you can you paint it for me? What, what did it look like? So the way I kind of went about it, the process of it was like I was just drawing random stuff. So I was drawing, like, for instance, I had an idea to do, like, a like a Chinese dragon, but because I didn't want to draw the scales, I made it leopard print instead. Um, and I would draw, like, um, oh, what was another thing that was in the show? A dominatrix with, like, two pet heads. Um, I would draw, you know, I drew, I would, when, whenever I'd go to, like, um, the mall, there were these two mannequins that I saw that I really liked because they were the identical mannequin, but they just put next to each other. And so I took a photo of that and drew that and then just gave that one, like, I think six heads or something like that, just random stuff. But then when I decided to actually do the show, I was like, okay, what? how's the show going to look? Um, because it's in, like, a giant space. It was at Super Chief Gallery LA, which is, like, not there anymore because it, then it got exploded. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> But, um, yeah, like, there was an explosion, and so the gallery blew up. But And this is, like, a, a month after my show, luckily. Um, well, not luckily, but, um, yeah, so when, with the gallery, it was like, I was like, I can either show lots of little things, and it would look crap, or I could just make a few really big things and fill out the space. And so then I decided to take all the work that I'd drawn um, and kind of just force them into compositions with each other, kind of like a collage. So the way I usually work anyway is like, imagine you're doing like a collage, but I'm just using my own stuff. So I'm always kind of drawing random stuff and kind of putting it in this bank of just imagery that over time I'll just be like, oh, that'll work with that. That'll work with that. And so I made these compositions like digitally. I drew them all up and then I had to transfer them to canvas and that involved having to like, um, yeah, I did like, it was a really, I was living in some really small apartment and so I had to buy like a picnic table and put it in the middle of the room. And then, so on either side, there would maybe be about like, I was like, what's that? Like 50 centimeters of space. And so to paint it, it would be like a printer. So I would like paint a section and then just move it up and then paint a section and move it up. And, um, cause I couldn't hang it on a wall or anything. There was no wall space. And, um, yeah, I can't remember. I think I did like nine or 10. And you get this big body of work ready to go for your exhibition in LA and you stop over in India mm-hmm. on the way. Why was that? Um, I had to do a conference in Goa, which was so random. Um, and I was just like, hell yeah, like I'm going to go to Goa. Um, and so, yeah, I took, 
my all the paintings. I had to roll them up in a big thing. It looked like a it looked like a like a carpet when you're moving a carpet, and then yeah, I took that to Goa. And think the whole time I was really stressed about getting into the states because I'd been detained before going to the states and um, for for um, for working without a without a permit. I was doing like I was doing a mural festival, so I wasn't getting paid, but they were still like. Oh, you're sleeping on the couch. Technically, you're getting paid. And I was like, oh, this is ter- This is crap. So I was really worried about the States. But then when I got into India, yeah, I failed to kind of like um, think about how like India, when I got to India, they were like, what are you doing? What are these things? Are you selling these? Da, 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 da. And I'd just be like, oh, whatever, man. Like, I'm just, and I couldn't really say I was there. For- yeah, I can't remember what I, I was weaving together all the lies. Anyway, it got, all the stuff got lost. At one point, and it was it was I freaked out so bad because it's like I'd been bit I've been kind of cryptic about showing the work online, um, so there wasn't really any record of it, you know, because I wanted to, to kind of unveil it all at the end when it got to LA, um, but yeah, when I was in India, a lot like the whole thing went missing, um, the whole roll went missing, and I was just like, hey, here's my luggage tag, um, can you find this? And apparently, it doesn't mean anything. When you have the, like, um, they're like, yep, it's not on here. And I'm like, but where is, this is the barcode, this is luggage how you gave me, can you match this with where it is? And they're like, no, that doesn't work that way. What? I didn't, what's, yeah. the, what's the point? Yeah, exactly. I was like, what's the point? Yeah. So, I don't know, maybe it was just the guy, but I was like, he's like, we can't reverse find it that way. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, and, you're just going to have to look yeah, for it on foot. Well, this is what happened. The guy yeah. goes, um... I go, okay, cool, where is it? He's like, it's probably still on the plane, but the plane's left. And so they treated it, yeah, the way they explained it was kind of like a bus depot. So they're like, the train, uh, the plane, the plane's here. When we were, probably what happened is when we were unloading the stuff, it was in a corner somewhere and they missed it. And now it's back, going back to Thailand. And I'm like, that's crazy. I didn't know that's how casual this whole thing was. And they was like, yep. And I'm like, so what do I do? They're like, we don't know. What? I'm yeah. gobsmacked. Yeah, what? <laughs> it was crazy. And I, I, all the while I was like complete, I had to catch it like a transfer to go to Goa. I, I don't remember what city I was in. And um, yeah, the whole, the whole time I was like full freaking out. I'm like, this is like a year's worth of work. Like, oh, is there a lesson in this? Is there some kind of big existential lesson about how nothing matters? Da, 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 da. Um, there was this concierge guy that I had to, well, I thought he worked there. I don't know if he actually worked there, but he was just like, I'll like customer service concierge. He's like, I will help you, but in the end, I had to tip him unofficially, like basically pay him to look for my stuff. But he, did, he didn't find it, mm. and then it was so funny because it was like, at the end he was just like, because I yeah I paid him like it was like some weird uh, airport scam. Like he had his own counter and stuff as well with the luggage people, and they're like, yeah, he'll look after you. But he was just like a shyster, and in the end, I was just, like full head in my hands, freaking out, and he was just like are you mad at me? And I'm like, I'm stressed. He's like, yeah, but you seem like you're mad at me. <laughs> and I'm like, I know it's not your fault, you know, Sam Day, but like, I'm, you got to understand that was like, this is a really, really big deal to me. And he's like, let's go have a cigarette. I'm like, yeah, cool. All right. And then we would, and then he would be like, can I have a cigarette? I'm like, yeah, okay. He's like, can I have two for my friend? And I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. And then by the end of it, he'd, like, taken, like, half my pack of cigarettes, 
I'd paid him some like 60 uh, Australian dollars or something. Still didn't have my stuff left. But then in the end, when I got to Goa, I went to like look it up, like file this like missing baggage thing. And then, yeah, some guy was walking around with my thing. Uh, you saw a guy walking around? Yeah, with yeah. It? He worked at the airport. It wasn't just oh, like around. Okay. Yeah. He was just walking around with it, just looking around. I'm like, that's mine. And I was like, so relieved. And he just looked at me and we made eye contact and he just like dropped it. Like just boom. It has like fragile written all over it. Yeah. He just like dropped it on the ground. Just like full, like a deal with it kind of thing. And it was like, yeah, but I was happy because I got it back. And nothing was damaged. Well, there was, the, the thing is it's canvas. So yeah. it's like, it's fine anyway. Yeah. yeah. If it was, he'd be like, oh, I'll buy you a beer anyway. Yeah, I'll buy you a beer. <laughs> it's all finished. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, w- I want to reflect on one of the more positive memories from that time. Mm. One of the less stressful memories. Um, when you first moved to Bangkok, you saw some members of a band you like walking around. Yeah. Okay. So I became obsessed with this band called Yellow Fang, which is like a Thai dream pop band. And, um, in fact, like I saw a clip of them on like Facebook or something. Someone had posted a video and it just kind of made me just go like, well, I was like, got so into it. I was just like, this made me want to like move to Bangkok, like legit. I started getting into like Thai music again. Um, and so, yeah, when I got to Bangkok and people would be like, I'd be like all these like metal punk gigs and stuff. I'd be like, that's the chick from, that's the bassist from Yellow Fang. And there's like, yeah, she's always here. And there's like, you like Yellow Fang? It's like, you know, it's like you're at this, like, you're in this mosh pit. I have like a, you know, like someone else's footprint on my back. And I'm like, my favorite band is this Thai Dream Pop band. And they're just like, what? <laughs> but um, one time they were at like, I was in this group show and they were there and I went up and introduced myself and because I was just like oh my god I'm like so and I think they weren't they probably weren't used to someone being like that into it because they're always around I was like oh no and I think I like full freaked them out let's dive into a yellow fang track now you've chosen the song if only yeah this is FBI radio 94.5 with me Mia Hull and James Stewart Patridoon Yeah. 
Hello Fang on FBI Radio 94.5. That song was called If Only. Right now you're listening to Out of the Box and I'm joined by illustrator James Jarrett Patradoon. James, you've been living in Sydney since March last year, but had you really planned on doing that? No. no. <laughs> so I, I'm, yeah, I'm from Sydney. I moved to Bangkok in 2019. That sounds so weird to say. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, I moved to Bangkok in 2019 and um, was there for a year. And then I initially came back to Sydney to, one, do my taxes and also for my birthday to visit my friends. And um, I was only meant to be here for a month. And then, because, yes, yeah, so I came in and I didn't have to quarantine or anything because this was, like, before COVID became a thing. And then, yeah, now I'm, I've been here since. Like, all my stuff is still in Bangkok. Like, I'm, I'm, like, refusing to buy certain things, like jackets and <laughs> things like that, because I'm like, no, I already got one. Or it's like, you know, my jeans are getting torn. I'm like, no, but I got, like, all these other ones back home. And it's like, yeah, it's, um, that has been probably the best place to be over this whole thing. It's been here, like, Sydney. And your parents are still here as well, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, my parents are here. Yeah. Um, my sister had to come back, because my sister lives in Seattle. So she had to come back for some visa things. So we were all under the same roof for the first time in, like, forever. Um, like, we'd traveled together and stuff, but it's, like, un- we were, like, together in, like, the same, like, household, which was crazy, mm. you know? Um, not in a bad way, but it was, like, it was cool because it's, like, I don't know. I guess you kind of appreciate things a lot differently, like, when you're older. There were definitely times when I was, like, going a bit crazy. Yeah. You know, because I was, I was, like, super stressed out the whole time, but not about COVID. I was stressed out about, like... Um, doing art stuff 
my sister would be like, why are you working so much? Like, what are you doing? Like, who is, like, what, is, what job are you on? I'm like, I'm not on a job. I'm just doing this thing. And she'd be like, why are you being so intense about it? It's, and it, it kind of made me kind of realize, I'm like, yeah, there is. It's kind of like, I am just super angry when I'm making work all the time. What have you been working on? Here? I was doing, um, uh, I'm not sure if I can even talk about it, but it was just like, I've been, I've been learning tattooing. So I was just in my room, just like either tattooing myself or like drawing designs and just like practicing and just stuff like that. And just kind of like having this thing where it's kind of like, I'm starting at the bottom of a whole other thing. And so it's kind of like, it's not as though the skill immediately kind of translates to another medium and you've just tacked that on like a, like a Voltron and you're fine. It's like you, you got to like kind of, um, for lack of a better term, like eat shit for ages and be crap at it. And it's, after being kind of, I guess, adept or good at being at something for such a long time, to suddenly go from being super crap at something is like really stressful. And I was just like, I really need to get better at this ASAP before I give it up or something like that. So um, I was being really intense about like practicing and stuff over COVID. And tattooing isn't the only thing you've been working on in this period back in Sydney as well. You've got an exhibition kicking off in the city tomorrow. I totally forgot. You totally forgot about that. (laughs) Well, here's a reminder. It's called Ultra. (laughs) Can you tell me anything else about it? I can't believe I forgot it. Um, Yeah, so it's with Gallery 4A and it's part of like a Lunar New Year thing. But because their usual gallery in Haymarket is undergoing renovations because it's like a heritage building, now they're kind of doing these like pop-up spaces. And so we got this pop-up space on the corner um, of George Street and Goulburn Street, uh, World Square, which used to be a Lorna Jane. And it, so it was full of all Lorna Jane stuff. And um, so we had to, we had about like a month or so to kind of gut it and turn it around and into something cool. And so, yeah, it's been crazy. This is, a, this is the first day, this is the first I've not been there. For like a month. I've been at it since like Christmas. I haven't stopped. Um, I've been able to like get drunk twice this whole time, which is criminal. Um, but it's, yeah, so it's going to be, I had to approach it more in terms of, um, I didn't want, there wasn't enough time to do separate artworks and put them on a wall because there was like a month. And the, what I wanted to do was kind of like, because I like so much artwork now is like being seen through Instagram and just like on computer and stuff like that. You kind of flick through it. Um, you don't really remember it. Like I would, I wouldn't be able to tell you the artworks that like the stuff that I liked on Instagram this morning, but I feel like if you go to a space, you remember it. And so I wanted to make something like that. So it's going to be this kind of semi installation thing. We're kind of, I've been making it kind of up as I've been going along. Yeah. It's going to be like three murals, a sculpture and, um, uh, well, yeah, that's about it. But I've done it in a way where it's kind of like um, a more of like an installation thing. I think I've always just kind of trying to... A lot of my work's about partying and how much I love partying. And so I think I like... I'm trying to make this show kind of reminiscent of that. So the lights are all pink and it's like... It's always like, yeah, it's going to... I'm I'm stoked on it. Yeah, it's yeah. Gonna, it sounds like a lot of fun. And for anyone hoping to see it, it's at Gallery 4A at World Square, which is on the corner of Goulburn and George Street. The exhibition will be running from the 29th of January through to the 28th of February this year. It is a free event, but you'll need to book a time to go and see it. We'll pop all the details to that up in the programs page on fbiradio.com. Thanks for jumping on the show, James. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me. What song would you like to end on? Oh, okay. I'm going to end on Pat Benatar's Hell is for Children, uh, which is a really, it's a pretty dark song, man. Um, but the, it's just so catchy. And the first time I ever heard it, I was just like, I kind of want my work to kind of have this vibe, kind of similar with it, well, not similar to Digital Bath, but um, just to kind of like be really, really poppy and have that be like a Trojan horse for like dark stuff. But my work is not as dark as this song. <laughs> it's a Hell, Hell is for Children by Pat Benatar. <laughs> Quite the introduction on FBI Radio 94.5 and stay tuned right after this, the wonderful Brie Kennedy is coming up for lunch. Thank you. Bye.
podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.